this summer I've been doing a what if series. So if you've been around when I speak, it's, it's what if, especially our generation right now, your generation is trying to figure out how to deal with absolutes in a time where there's no absolutes, which is really difficult to do because there are absolutes. So to deal with no absolutes when there are makes you miserable more than anything. Um, because there are things that are, whether you like them or not, they are. And so those are the things you say, okay, this is what is, so I'm going to deal with it. Now, you might be totally confused because all those words together don't sound good. Um, President Biden yesterday, there's a, a girl that got scratched from the Olympics for testing for marijuana or something, and some people are screaming about how anti this girl or whatever it might be. And President Biden just said, you know, whether the law is good or not doesn't really matter. She knew the rules. See, that, what he was saying was, there's an absolute. She knew what they what She knew the absolute. She violated the absolute. And because of that, she's not in the Olympics. You shouldn't talk about the validity of the law in the same sentence. That could be another discussion over here somewhere if the law wants to change. But the idea is still, that's the law right now. So it's kind of interesting that what happens in a society where it's really hard figuring out what absolutes are to talk about anything that might be absolute. And I would encourage all of you to, uh, to have in your minds a place where, okay, these things are non-negotiable. I am convinced of these things. I breathe air, so I'm never going to live underwater. You know, that's, that's a good thing because the absolute is you do breathe air. So you go through life and you say, there are certain things I'm always going to do. There's also another group of things out there that you might believe, and you do believe, but you don't believe. Uh, by that I mean, it's easy to say, um, for example, I believe that God loves me. You can say that. But then if I ask you, then why don't you live like it? Do you actually believe that God loves you, or don't you? Because if you actually believed it, you'd live like it. So, and that's the question, it's all through the Bible. You know, people that are forgiven, do they act forgiven? People that know grace, do they act like they understand grace? So it's a matter, a lot of times, of looking at our lives and trying to figure out, what does my life say that I believe, as opposed to my brain saying what I believe? Because my brain will lie. And my life usually lives out what I believe. And uh, hopefully you'll see what we're talking about. Uh, today's what if question is, what if life is really about a launching pad for the next? And, and the reason I start out with intellectual is because that's, most of us understand that. That, you know, we're all going to die. They're, we're all going to go into the future. So we understand that. But what if this life is only a launching pad? In other words, what if this life is really totally about preparing for the next? And if I'm Satan, what I want to do is get you out of that mind frame. I don't want you to think about that. I want you to think that this life is about now, this moment. You live for the moment. Now, again, you do have to understand how to be in the moment while you love God. But what if it is a launching pad only for what's to come? Um, in 1 Corinthians 15, 43, it says, It is sown in dishonor, talking about life. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a, a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. 
If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a living spirit. But it is not the spiritual that was first, but the natural and then the spiritual. So you, you see the Apostle Paul going, look, there's aspects to living. There's this time, there's this period where you're physical on this earth, like Adam, the first Adam. Second Adam is Jesus. So, so then there's a time where you're no longer like that. And if you think about it, the time that you're no longer like the first one is a whole lot longer. Billions and billions and billions and billions, of, but you can't, it never ends. So, so what you begin to understand is this life that you and I are experiencing right now is minuscule, small. But Satan, what he wants to do is get into your head and make it big. This is the only thing that matters. There will come a time in every human being's life where the only thing that matters is eternity. Where the only thing that matters, they're thinking about the future. Where the only thing that matters, if they get a time to think about it before they die, the only thing that will matter is those that they are leaving right now. We'll be able to go with them someday. There'll be a time where that's all that matters because that's the reality of it. Yesterday, talking with um, a lady whose daughter is a nurse and she's a hospice nurse. And she was talking about how her daughter basically, you know, really enjoys working with people. If you understand hospice, there's no help for them. They make people comfortable as they die. In other words, the medical community will say there's no chance for this person to go on living. And so since that's true, we're going to stop heroic efforts to try and keep them alive. And we're going to make them comfortable while they die. Now, many people like to avoid the idea of death. And, and so my wife asked her, how's your daughter deal with the idea that she's around death all the time? And she said, you know what? She's really, really got it in perspective. She said, that's a natural cycle of life. And I thought, yeah, that's what you call it. It is a cycle of life. It isn't life. It's a part of living, but it's not living. The whole thing isn't here. And, and when you understand that, you realize that's what happens. You guys live, and you're going to be alive for nobody knows how many years. Nobody knows when they're leaving. Nobody knows any of that. Then one day, God says, your life down here is finished. And all of us will not be here anymore. Everything we have ever earned, everything we have ever controlled, everything we have ever possessed will be left to somebody else. You don't take anything with you when you go. You die and completely you have nothing. And what's interesting is those who have spent their entire life trying to accumulate something leave without anything. And, and however much energy they put into it, they don't have anything left. They face God like the poorest person who ever walked the planet. They face him with the same agenda. But they've ignored that agenda because of the other busy stuff. And, and the interesting thing is, is that busy stuff isn't necessarily in and of itself evil. It's not evil to own a car or whatever else. I mean, that's not evil. But when you busy yourself there and you get totally wrapped up in now, you, you tend to forget the reality. 
Mark 12, 27 is a great verse for putting life into perspective where it says, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Not the God of the dead, but of the living. Talking about people like uh, Elijah, Moses, Abraham. People would talk about he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as if they're dead. They're not dead. They're not here. Think of God as he looks at this in reality, as he sees it the way it is. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are very much alive with him. For us to refer to them as not being alive, to God, that's weird. They're very much alive, but they're with him. So he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Those who are separated from him in eternal damnation in in, in hell, separated from God, well, they're not around him. He's the God of the living at this particular point. He's not the God of the dead. John 14, 1 to 7. You know, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house. Now he tells us about what the future is going to hold for those who love him, for those who are in his family. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I wouldn't have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. What's really interesting is, is Jesus is saying, let me give you an understanding of what's coming up. This is, it, I know it's kind of weird to you because... You have everything in front of your face right now. And the old illustration I've given is, you know, you're trying to learn what the elephant looks like by having your face smashed against it. Basically, the world is smashed up against your face, and the world is gray and dirty and smelly. And you're going, that's life. I can experience that. And God's going, yeah, but if you back off a little bit, there's more there. And basically, what you have to understand is eternity is a place for those that are my family, those that I love, those who have listened to me. I'm actually going to prepare a place for you. You know, uh, my wife is exceptional at hospitality, and if somebody comes to our house, it is very well prepared for them. Anyone who stays as a guest at our house, they know that they were wanted and welcomed and and they have a place that is specially set aside for them. She will make sure there's water, extra toothbrushes, toothpaste, everything that somebody could forget, she's got it in a place for them. Everything is comfortable when they come. The meals are thought out. Why? Because when you go somewhere, one of the weirdest things in the world is to be a surprise like they weren't expecting you. And that you're a bother to them. If you've ever stayed somewhere where you're seeing people scramble and trying to figure out where to put you and trying to see if there's enough food in the refrigerator for you, you don't feel overly welcome at that moment. What God is saying is, you're going to feel welcomed when you come home. Your place has been prepared for you. So my place was not prepared for Stefan. It was prepared for me. Now, I don't know what that means exactly. Because I haven't been there yet. 
But I do know that God says, this is what I'm doing, and you need to understand that is the way it is. That's what you need to live like. This world then becomes a different place. That becomes the place your home. The place he's preparing for me will never be taken from me. That's how that one works. And I go to prepare a place for you. I'll come again. I'll take you to myself. Jesus says, you know, and if I'm doing that, if I'm preparing a place, I'm going to come and get you. Don't worry about it. It's not like I'm preparing a place. I'm going to leave you there. Uh, Got this place for you. You're never going to see it. That's not how it works. No, I got this place for you. And guess what? I will come and get you. But what's really incredible is why he says he's going to come and get you. I will come again and will take you to myself, comma, that where I am, you may be also. It's a relational thing. I want to take you with me. I want to be with you for eternity. All of you, deep down in your heart, you long for a partner, for people, for a spouse one day maybe, for family, for anybody to say, I just want to be with you. And I'm making sure I make the provision that we can be together. That's a very special statement, by the way. I don't care who you are, that's a special statement. But when God of the universe says it, He says, that's my motivation. I want you with me for eternity, so I am preparing a place for you. I want you to be with me. That's what the absolute is. And you go, wow, why would I ever be disloyal to God? Why? He wants me for eternity to be with him. He loves me. He's going to prepare a place for me. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This, this passage happens to be full of absolutes. There's a heaven. There's a place. I'm the way. Those are all absolutes. So if you want an absolute chapter, you go to John 14 and take a look at it. Because God's saying, here's the absolutes in life. Now, if I want to be miserable, I will adjust my thinking apart from that. Because these are the absolutes. And I can be. I can ignore what he says. Heaven and earth. A lot of times we hear the idea of heaven and earth and we're not really sure what it means. John Bunyan once was asked a question about heaven, which he couldn't answer because the matter was not revealed in scripture. And he advised the inquirer to live a holy life and go and see. As he said, I don't know all the answers, but here's what I do know which is a really smart way to answer if you don't know the answer. I don't know what that means that God prepares a place for us. I have no idea. So why don't you go and take a look at it when it's time. Live in a way where your place is prepared and, and God says, well done, when he sees you. Then you'll experience what he has planned. That's all. I can't, nobody in the Bible, nobody can look at this and say this is exactly what it means. Because God doesn't tell us. But you realize when they talk about the heavens, again, the reality of where God lives, this, this is a mystery in a way. We, we get these word clues about it, but we still can't fathom it. Now, here, here's my thought before I even get into that. It's like, well, what if God is trying to describe something to us that we don't have the capability of understanding? 
If, if he's describing something that we cannot understand, is so far beyond our understanding, how would he describe it? I mean, if he said heaven is like, and you and I go, I don't know what that is. He goes, exactly, but that's what it is. So uh, let me try and explain that to you somehow, what that is, I just said. But you're human, you're on earth, you can't figure it out. So there, there's some things, if you ask people what heaven's like, they go, well, like gold streets, and it could be. It could also be that the streets are made of something that we can't even understand, and gold was the best example that he could give us and say, this is what they are. They're way beyond that. It's just you have no capability of understanding what the word is. In other words, I have no idea how specific some of the examples are. In, in the Bible, whenever Jesus said something, at times there were hyperboles, which meant, I'm telling you something to teach you a lesson, but it is so far beyond reality. It's, teachers do that often. They might say, I've told you this four million times. The point is, I've told you that a lot. It isn't that now I lied because you counted it was only three million times. So hyperboles are used all through history as far as teaching tools. So I have no idea when we talk about what heaven is like, when we talk about what God's going to have there. Here's what we need to understand. The creator and sustainer of the universe loves us and wants us there and is preparing a place for us. That's what we need to know. And then dream on. Because we don't know exactly what that's going to be. And that's what we, we don't want to get caught on. But in Hebrews 7.26 it says, For it is indeed that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Okay, what happens here that the word heaven is used in a lot of different realms. There's, there's, you and I can look up and say, the heavens, the atmosphere we're in. We can look up and think the universe, and then there's something beyond the universe. The word heaven can actually be used for all three segments in our language. So when we speak of heaven, people think all kinds of things because they're not sure what that actually means. But the words the apostle in, in the epistles, in, in, when he is in Colossians, he calls me and says, If you be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things in the earth. He's actually talking about something that's separated from where we're at. Wherever that is, whatever that looks like, the place where he's going to prepare some place for us. It seems to be that there is a place, but we're not sure where it is and how it looks. In fact, we may not be capable of understanding that, or we may not be capable of... I mean, we're not capable of understanding a few things, really. We don't know how God can be everywhere at once. We, we don't understand. There's a lot of things where you just sit there and go, I don't get that. Well, God might answer that very simply. I'm God, you're not. Like, I'm way beyond you. And it's okay, trust me. I'm, I love you. It's interesting as you go on, 2 Corinthians 12, 2 to 3 says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. This is interesting. Paul's talking about himself in the third person. Whether in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. 
Now, now, again, we're listening to a guy who actually knows what's going on, and he says, I don't even know what's going on. So it's one of those. I'm working on a series called Antinomies. Antinomies are things that are but cannot be, but they are anyway. And, and that's a tough thing for us people to grab. So Paul's saying, I know a man who is 14 years caught up in the third heaven. Third heaven. Not the air we breathe, not the stars we see. There's something beyond that. And again, we're on a round earth, so beyond that doesn't mean straight above us, but it does mean straight above us, but I have no idea what that means. And then and, and he does his normal comma, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in body or out of body, I don't know. God knows. He, he just, just had this, this thing with God. I mean, I'm not 100% sure what I'm saying. I do know it took place in another place. Interesting. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Not that world, this world, separating it. You all, as you live, one of the wise things you can do is understand that there is a difference between the world in which you live today, the experiences that you have today, and the eternal world. It's different. If this is a launching pad for them, it would be very wise to keep in mind then. It would be very wise to keep in mind how what you do in this world affects you in that world. And it does. It seems as you go through life that everything that you do in this world is something that's going to springboard you into the next and affect your experience in the next world. What Christians really like to ignore is the idea that God will treat us differently at some point. Because we have this fascination with being equal in all things, and that's just not the case. If you read your Bible, you understand that God rewards those who are faithful, which simply means this, those who are not faithful will not get rewarded. Once again, I can't tell you what that means exactly. That's just what the Bible teaches. So those who are faithful will be rewarded. Those who are not faithful will not be rewarded. And I can promise you that it's going to matter. Now, that is not saying you work your way to heaven or, or that has nothing to do with it. It has to do with those that are in God's family and those who listen to God, no, it's like a child. If my children listen to me, if my children listen to God, when Linda and I die, they can have everything that we have. I don't care. They can have it all, do whatever they want with it. They're going to have to give it away one day too. However, if my kids decide they're not going to walk with God and they're going to be belligerent and hateful, and Linda and I don't have to leave them anything. And we probably wouldn't. You know, I'd say, well, they, they have to work. Their, they don't have to work. They have to show they're responsible. If they're responsible, they can have everything. But if, if I give them stuff and it's going to destroy them, I don't want to give it to them. Oh, by the way, they're my children. See, being my child has nothing to do with my reward system. My reward system has to do with their behavior. They're my children. 
They're automatically my children. Once you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're in his family. But then all of us like to think, well, then automatically when you die, God says, well done. Really? And God isn't going to lie. If he does say well done when he sees you, it's because it was well done. Oh, he still loves you. He's still preparing a place for you. I don't understand all that stuff. But I do know that those who are faithful to him in this life will be rewarded. That's all. And I know it's got to matter or he wouldn't say it. I don't know how it matters. I just know it's going to matter. And since that's the reality of it, I want to live in a way where when I see God eventually, I'm not ashamed of what I did in life. I was once dead in trespasses and sin, and I walked in that way, found the course of the world. So easy to figure out what everyone else is doing and just follow that and forget about forever. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Notice he keeps saying, there's this world, there's that, that world. There's this world, there's that world. So by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated, and seated us in the heavenly place with Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, that thing that's for real, the coming ages, he might show immeasurable riches of his grace, kindness towards us in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. You know, when you look at that verse, you go, wow, heaven, for those that listen to him and love him, what his goal is, is to demonstrate for eternity the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. That's what he's going to do. Wow, do I deserve that? No, 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 that's why grace and kindness are in there. We should never fear the future, eternity, heaven, because one of God's purposes is to demonstrate his grace and kindness to us for eternity. Wow. So why would we live for this moment? Because Satan's really good at getting us to do that getting us to think this is the only moment that counts. He's really good at it. So often we buy his lies, and we live that way. And then we're sorry. It's interesting, if you, those people who understand these principles, there's four things that they really have. Uh, and I mean, you can tell whether you do or not. Because if you really believe it, you have a, a sense of evil sin. Sin around you actually bothers you. If you really understand what we're talking about, sin is bothersome to you. It's just bothersome. If sin is entertaining to you, you don't get it yet. Because sin is always something that separates. It doesn't bring you together with God. So the second thing is a dying to self-confidence and trusting in Christ alone. Those who really get this, they aren't overly confident in themselves. They're confident in God. See, that. That's different. If you have to keep being confident in yourself, say, I'm going to stand up to this. I'm going to be able to do this. I'm going to probably not. That's, you're not the one who gives you strength. The third thing that I think that people have when they understand this is an appetite for grace. They love God's grace. You look at the Apostle Paul while he writes. Remember, this guy was a murderer and all that kind of stuff. 
He always writes about God's grace, God's mercy, but because he has an appetite for it. It's like, wow, I need that. You need to see yourself clearly. And the fourth that uh, I think is a demonstration that you get is you actually love uh, people. Because you realize in the end that people are the only thing you take with us for eternity. You don't take any of the other junk. You know, unfortunately, my gator stays here. Doesn't go with me. Oh, you can bury me with it if you want, but it's still going to stay in the ground then. Give it to somebody. Don't bury me in it. It's one of those things where you realize that life is only really about God and people. When we make it about money, stuff, things, we'll be disappointed. And those who get it start to live that way. Close with this picture. Uh, Roland Hill recounted this. He said, I remember once conversing with a celebrated sculptor who had been hewing out a block of marble to represent one of the great patriots, Lord Catham, who is there in marble. Now, sir, I said, can you put life into it? Else with all its beauty, it is still but a block of marble. The guy who created it said, yeah, it may look nice, but it's just a hunk of stone. Why? Because there's no life. God's the one who gives life. It's a very special thing. You're living right now, you're breathing right now, that's a gift from Almighty God. And you'll be alive somewhere for eternity. And you'll either experience the things that God wants you to for eternity with him, or you're not going to experience because of the way you live during this life. The key really is knowing Christ and making him known. That's what the key is. Can't motto, but it's also what the key is. All the way through the Bible, you know, if you know Christ, you begin to act like you know him. If you're having trouble living as you should, it really is because you really don't know God. Because if you really did know God, you would act like you should. Now, you may intellectually have some information about God, but having information about God and knowing God are two different things. But if you know God, you'll understand his mercy, you'll understand his love, and you'll act like you're one who's experienced mercy and love. And as far as making them known, that's just a byproduct. If you've been around me long enough and you've heard me teach enough, you know I'm married to a lady named Linda. It's a byproduct. Of life. She's the one I'm married to, so you're going to know it eventually. Because I live like it, actually. And that's the way we live. So eventually people know that you love God because you actually live like it. You don't even have to say anything. They'll know, eventually. Or you can say something, and they'll still know. Either way, they'll know. And maybe you don't say something, then you say something, then you don't say something. But it doesn't matter, because they'll still know. So if those two things aren't present in your life, you're going to have trouble. Because the absolute is, you'll all die. And the absolute is, you'll live forever, <laughs> somewhere. So when you die, it's just transferring from this life to the next. Which is going to be a very, very long time. And God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And so you live that way. 
And those of you that love God, look forward to the time where you get to see what he prepared for you. You might look forward to the time where you can talk to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because God isn't the God of the dead, but of the living. So they're there. They had a place prepared for them. I don't know what their address is. But they're there somewhere. And my dad's there, and my mom's there. And some of your relatives, possibly. One of the, the fun things I do when somebody's dying is ask them to talk to people who are there for me. At first, the people around me thought, you're so blunt. This person's dying. You're not giving them hope. I said, not giving them hope? I'm talking to them in the realm of what's actually happening. They're dying, and they know it, by the way. Don't pretend they're not dying. When I was in a wheelchair as a kid, one of the worst things you could do is treat me like I wasn't in one. Because I was in one. I wasn't afraid to be in one. I just got tired of people walking around me like I wasn't in one. You'll see me. A kid come in here and he's struggling with something. I go, hey, what's with the wheels? Why are you in there? Half the time they look at me and go, thanks for asking. Right? Because most people don't ask. They just assume something. Just wonder. Like, that's reality. You're in there. You're fine. It's just, let's talk about why. And I want to know. I'm curious. I was in one once. And then you have a great discussion. Reality is so important to embrace. People will die. You can't run from that. You can prepare for it, but you can't run from it. And if you do run from it, you're going to be running all your life because it's going to be around you. You might as well learn to go through it and understand it as a reality of life and be prepared for it. And if someone is not prepared for it around you, help them prepare for it. That's what you do. Because it will happen. So just help them. That's all. And you'll see. Life becomes something that you have in perspective. And 100 billion years from now, we'll probably sit around Elijah's fireplace talking about it. I have no idea if that fireplace is even. I have no clue. But whatever they do there, um, maybe we'll all be very surprised and nobody has any clue. I have no idea. Let me pray. Father, again, thank you that you love us. Thank you for telling us the way it really is so that we can prepare for it. Help us do that and honor your name in Jesus' name. Amen.